Hello and welcome to episode 65 of Popcorn Optional, a weekly movies podcast where we talk all things movies. This week we have another edition of Catch Up, where we catch up on movies we should have seen but haven't gotten around to yet because of life. So for our second edition of Catch Up, we will be watching and reviewing one of the most legendary films of all time, The Godfather. But before we get to our review... We will uh, talk about some news and trailers since we've been out for two weeks. And uh, we're going to nominate the 17th class of honorable mentions. My name is Cameron Salina, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts Jake Brown and Trevor Olson. Good to be here, man. Yeah, finally uh, finally watched The Godfather. You know, after, <laughs> after, after so many cultural references that I didn't even know were from this movie. We got through four years of film school and never... Watch The Godfather. Yeah, sick. <laughs> Blows my mind. Sick bears. Yeah, Baylor. We well, wait, wait. To add to that list, we got through four years of film school and never watched 2001: A Space Odyssey or The Godfather. So, two for one special there. Um, as like we've been out, tons of things have happened, and we're not going to get into everything. Um, but we'll 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 talk uh, really kind of two the probably the two two of the bigger things. I mean, in the time that we've been out, Alec Baldwin has been cast and left the cast of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker movie. <laughs> um, the creators of the GoldenEye video game, the one of the greatest video games of all time, have come out and said that if you play his odd job, you are a cheater. That's which that's, is good to know. That's true. That's <laughs> it's it's hundred percent true. If you play his odd job, you are a cheater. The game is only it's you can only move on like one axis. So if the yep. character's a different height, you can't shoot him. Are you a cheater right. though? If it's something that the creators of the game included, like it's part I of mean, the game. Maybe not, not technically cheating. cheating, but it's definitely not cool. Okay. Yeah. There yeah. we go. That's better. <laughs> it's not kosher. There, yeah. yeah. Um, and the Venice film festival started, which will see the premiere of tons of huge movies for this year including First Man, which premiered today, to rave reviews saying it's the best Damien Chazelle film, which, to remind you, Damien Chazelle has directed Whiplash and La La Land, which were two of the best movies in the years that they came out. So the, the phrase has been thrown out that it is the Saving Private Ryan of space movies. Dang. Wow. So, wow. You know, just a little bit of hype. So Rocket Man, Rocket, like, that's being surpassed. By this. Yes, <laughs> Rocket Man is being surpassed. I forgot that um, movie existed. <laughs> how could you forget? It's one of the greatest movies of all time. I mean, it's it was Passengers before Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence did Pratt Passengers. I think. Wow. <laughs> I I would go so far to say that Rocket Man is one of the best films ever to have a chimpanzee as the co-star, like one of the main co-stars. Ooh. You know, we should become a podcast that only looks at films with chimpanzees in the film. MVP. So, so we Most have Iowa Primate. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Love that movie. There we go. I, in my opinion, Dunstan checks in as number one. Oh, that's a good one. Mm. That's a good one. Do we count films with like King Kong? Like is that no, a chimpanzee? No, 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 no. Totally different no, genes. I want like Cameron. I want a real okay. flesh and blood chimpanzee doing actual acting. <laughs> oh, so we're not counting Planet of the Apes. Does Andy Serkis no. count? That's the no. question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as we fondly look at Harlan Williams, you know, amazing role in Rocket Man, where you know, 
uh, I don't, I'm not going to even go any further with that one. Let's get into the real <laughs> news items that we're going to talk about. Danny Boyle has dropped out of Bond 25 due to creative differences, which is the phrase that everybody says when they just, you know, get don't really, get it's tired. like being divorced. Yeah. It's like being getting divorced and be like, we have irreconcilable differences. It's, it's the layman's like bleh. Um, the rumor is that he left because he wanted to cast a certain actor as the villain and Daniel Craig, who has veto power over all actors in the film would not give his go ahead for that. actor. <laughs> who wrote this contract for Daniel? Yeah. Craig? He has veto yeah. power over. I did not know that. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. And he's making $50 million for this film. So you know, get those checks, Daniel Craig. Good. For I you. mean, I have, I have nothing but respect for his agent. And nothing but a lack of respect for the studio that signed that contract. I do like him as Bond. Like I think he yeah, might be my favorite good. Bond. Honestly, he's good. He's good as Bond. He, uh, he's, um, uh, he's got the swagger, and he's he's funny, but he's not silly. He also right. just has like those that those like dead soul eyes of a guy who's killed a lot of people. Yeah. Like, if you have hope in your eyes and you're like, the world is good, you can't play Bond. You can't kill just that not... many people and have that many meaningless sex encounters and have hope in your soul. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Um, but with Danny, Danny Boyle dropping out, there are uh, there's a short list of directors that's come out that are the supposed directors that the studio wants. Uh, Edgar Wright, David McKenzie, John Mark Vallee. Uh, and Jan Demange, who, you know, some, you know, like Edgar Wright and David McKenzie are bigger names. Edgar Wright, uh, the Cornetto trilogy and Last Summer's Baby Driver. David McKenzie did Hell or High Water. And he has the new Chris Pine movie coming out on Netflix this year called The Outlaw King, which looks great. Um, I John Mark Vallee is the guy who did Wild with Reese Witherspoon a couple of years ago. And then uh, Jan Demange is the director of 71 and the movie that's about to come out called White Boy Rick starring Matthew McConaughey. So some interesting names. Um, who, if so not even counting these guys, but if you guys had your pick of directors, who would you want to see take a shot at Bond 25, knowing that this is probably Daniel Craig's last film as Bond? So honestly... My answer is Edgar Wright, and I know that that's like a cop out, but that that's who I want to see make this movie. Um, and if it's not them, I would be interested in potentially the Russo brothers because mm. I thought their job on Winter Soldier is one of the best spy movies of the last decade. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think here's what I want. I want. Let's see. This will be Daniel Craig's fifth, right? Which yes. I, if I'm mistaken is almost as many as sean connery and roger moore somewhere around there. i think sean connery did nine so so the way this arc has gone with this character though i mean basically sam mendez did like a reboot with this um with mm -hmm. casino royale and i i think well, the director should be whoever kills bond whoever's willing to kill bond let's like tie up this thing into a complete daniel craig arc and and well, let it let it finish there. It's interesting interesting that you say that. Um, so Sam Mendes, obviously, I mean, Sam Mendes, in my opinion, did one of the top five best Bond films in Skyfall. Yeah, um, Skyfall, I yeah. think Skyfall's, it's the best. It's Absolutely. amazing. I agree. 
I I personally love um, Casino Royale, and I can't remember who directed Casino Royale, but um, I I thought that was a great one of the better Bond films. It's interesting that you bring up the death of Bond because the person who I most want to see the who see direct this is David Fincher. See, and I think David Fincher would have no problem killing Bond. That's who I was going to say. I, I think it has to be a British guy, but... So, because, well, because Sam Mendes is English. Um, Mark Forster is, of course, English. Look at the films that... No, Mark Forster is Br- uh, German. Yeah. <laughs> Martin Campbell is... Um, Martin Campbell's from New Zealand. He did Casino Royale, so maybe you don't have to be British, per se. European. Yeah. You have to be in the EU. European. But the, yeah, I I was actually thinking David Fincher, um, because he would have no qualms about killing off James Bond. Yeah, right. And um, I mean, that being said, Jake, like you said, Edgar Wright would be Edgar Wright's one of my favorite directors. I think he would do a great job of it. But I don't. I'd be curious to see how his sensibilities work in the Bond world, because um, I mean. You know, Baby Driver has great action, but it it still has a very Edgar Wright tone, and I think that's the problem that Marvel ran into was that it was an Edgar Wright film set in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'd be curious to see how Bond handles that, but I think you know David McKenzie is the other one that really interests me. Hell or High Water is a very good uh, kind of crime film, and yeah. I think you could you know take certain elements of that and the tone of that and it would play very nicely in a bond film even better is that david mckenzie is great friends with chris pine and if chris pine played the villain that would just be you know the best (laughs) yeah so i i think i think that yeah i of those options i think i like david mckenzie the best i think jean-marc valet is an amazing storyteller but i don't know if his style and feel works for bond, but if we're going to have bond, if we're going to have Craig go out and bond go out dying, like I think we need a, a David McKenzie Western style thing where it's like a guns blazing situation. And yeah, and I think that, that he can kind of provide that. So there's a lot of good directors out there, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the directors that were on the shortlist would do a pretty good job in that role. I'd be curious um, for a lot of different directors in that because it's just such an iconic character that it's almost one of those things of like, how would this director handle that? You know, um, I would love to see James Cameron direct James Bond. That'd be interesting. No reaction. Whatsoever. That would be weird. I think that's only possible if it like <laughs> takes place in the Marianas Trench. <laughs> oh okay if that wait, that if would that be the script then like sure james cameron obviously is the guy for the job but other than that i'm gonna i'm gonna pass on most james cameron situations um all righty well let's let's get to the roma trailer now if you were to just watch this you'd be like well that's interesting netflix is putting out a foreign language film in black and white but once you dig deeper, you realize this is the new film from Alfonso Cuaron, the director of Children of Men and the third Harry Potter and the uh, much beloved film from from 2013, Gravity. And this is a very different tone for what from what he's been doing. So what was your guys reaction upon seeing uh, this trailer? This this feels very personal 
Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that that means it's going to be amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, we know what Quaron can do. I think you could, I think there's an argument to be made that children of men is the best movie of the 21st century. Um, and it just, it, Quaron tells a story visually like no one else does. And this looks, it looks amazing. I mean, it looks beautiful independent of anything else but knowing that he's attached it looks it has the feel of a real passion project and for someone who works like he does i think that means very good things totally agree i mean the the trailer gives you so little which i like it's almost too little though i'm just kind of like huh i have no idea what's going on um which i i kind of like you know so i'm i'm down i'm excited anything alfonso coran like i'm gonna watch so i'm i'll be there i'm i'm excited he's he's one of the best directors working right now um so yeah let's let's do it yeah he's he's one of the minchiest minches like Mm -hmm. alfonso coron directs a film set entirely within a grocery store would watch (laughs) you know like doesn't don't even care yeah, well, it's interesting because Netflix has the distribution rights, so I'm curious how that will affect uh, come award season. Netflix did put out a statement today ahead of its premiere tomorrow at the Venice Film Festival that for quote-unquote prestige films such as Roma, they are willing to do a limited-run theatrical release. So it, to me, it just feels weird to see an Alfonso Cuaron film that wouldn't be on the big screen. Like you almost feel like you're robbing yourself by not seeing uh, it on the big screen. That being said, it's not uh, shot by Emmanuel Lubezki, his normal cinematographer. Uh, Quaron is actually the cinematographer on this film, along with Gallo Olivares, um, who I don't really know what else he has done, but uh, you would feel that you know Quaron, just based on this, has a pretty good knack for cinematography based on the trailer. So. Uh, yeah, we'll be interested to see what, uh, the early reviews of this are based on its premiere on August 30th at the Venice Film Festival. That's all we have for news and trailers. Let's get to the 17th class of honorable mentions. Uh, the honorable mentions is a list that we have put together of people who, if we knew nothing else about a movie other than they were involved, we would go see it strictly based on that. So Trevor just said that Alfonso Cuaron is one of the menchiest of menches. And by that, he means that if all we knew about a movie was that Cuaron was directing it, we don't know anything about the story. We don't know anything about who's acting in it, who's the cinematographer. All we know is Cuaron's directing. Is that enough to make us want to go see it? And so that's that's the big thing, is that if that's all we knew, would that be enough? Uh, the other two kind of smaller things is it must be a unanimous vote. We must all say yes. And that they must have, in order to be nominated, they must have been in or worked on more than five films. So people like Damien Chazelle, who has only directed two films, even though those two films are great, cannot be nominated because he doesn't have the necessary time spent in Hollywood. So in the 16th class of honorable mentions which can be listened to in episode 59, we inducted Tom Cruise and Nick Offerman. And then Tessa Thompson was nominated. And even though she didn't make it, we put her on what we like to call a pending list. Uh, I don't know why I said we like to call it because that's just a typical (laughs) name for that. That's what it is. Uh, It is what it is. 
we put her on a pending list because we kind of, as much as we love Tessa Thompson, we want to see her in more of a leading role. And so we kind of figured between Creed 2, where she's supposed to have a more beefed up role, and Men in Black, where she is the female lead, that we would see more of her in the next year. So Tessa Thompson is pending. Uh, that being said, let's get to nominating the 17th class of honorable mentions. Jake, who is your nomination for this class of honorable mentions? Oh, okay. Um, this is someone who I think has had a pretty amazing year. If you look at all the films he's been in and also has been in some of the best films, uh, or most memorable films of the last 30 years. Um, this is the balancer himself, Josh Brolin, Thanos. (laughs) Um, man, that guy's career spans decades mm-hmm. yeah always he was in the goonies. whenever i watch goonies yeah. yeah i watch goonies and i'm like oh there's josh brolin yeah. already kind of jacked for a 14 year old yeah yeah <laughs> like he could have beat me up in the goonies now as a 27 year old me uh he, he's had a great career you know even if you look back to you know 10 years ago he did no country for old men uh American Gangster, Milk. He uh he's had some slip ups, Jonah Hex. <clears throat> there was um Into the Blue, which, you know, as a Paul Walker fan, I am embarrassed to say I don't like. <laughs> but uh Everybody's got a stinker. Everybody's got a stinker. Um, I mean he was in the original twenty one jump street. You don't have the new one without Josh Brolin. <laughs> he was in an episode of the original 21. But I'm just saying, he was in it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Trevor, where are you at on this one? This is this is interesting for me. Um, I think that he's consistently good. I think he's been better lately than, than early in his career. Um, but he just doesn't really have like the cachet for me. This is, I don't know. I'm not really sure what to do with this. <laughs> See, I'm with you, Trevor. I don't, I as much as I like Josh Brolin, I don't know if I would vote Josh Brolin in as an honorable match. I don't know if like, if all I knew about a movie was that Josh Brolin was acting in it, is that enough to make me go see it? I don't, I don't think so. Yeah, he almost is in like the Will Smith category. Of like, I really mm-hmm. like him. I'm not even sure how talented he is. I just like him. <laughs> oh, I think he's talented. I think he's in like he's an honorary mention for sure. It's like Carrie Mulligan or any of the other people that have been put on. The, like it's like Harrison Ford. Like I like Harrison Ford, uh-huh. but I wouldn't go see a movie just because Harrison Ford is in it. So I would. I think he's an honorary. I would go see any movie in which Josh Brolin plays a firefighter. Amen. Oh, amen. Because <laughs> Jake, have you seen only the brave yet? I haven't yet. And I, I know mm. I should. Oh, you may hate it. You may like it. I don't it's, know. It's one of those films that I cried my way through. And so, you know, emotional Cameron comes out and goes, it's the best movie. It's, uh, it's not, whether or not that's true is another, it's subject. not great. It has some issues, but it's, it's a good movie. Josh Brolin is great and it has good miles teller. So if you want some good miles teller, it's a rarity. It's <laughs> um, a rarity. Yeah, I'm gonna say the same thing. He's honorary for me. Just doesn't quite. He doesn't. He doesn't 
like bring me in really. It's like, oh, Josh Brolin, cool, he's pretty good. It's not like a oh, we have to see this. Mm. It's not. It's not like well, Ryan Gosling in a spacesuit from 1969. You know. Oh, I'm crying already. <laughs> All right, sorry, Josh Brolin. Um, honorary though. All right, Trevor, who is your nomination? Um, this is someone who is in a bunch of w- different movies. Someone who might be described as weird as hell. Um, <laughs> if you say and, Johnny Depp, I swear I'm gonna reach through this <laughs> and put you in the face. And has, Jason Momoa has a couple. Um, has a few Oscar noms and an Oscar win, and I think that she's one of the greatest living actresses because she can play anything and becomes whatever her role is, and it is the wonderfully weird Tilda Swinton. Ooh. Hmm. I, I, mm, I'll, mm, I will mm. add to my intro that she always gives 100% in every movie she's in. That's true. That's fair. Um, Gosh. She's been in some weird stuff lately. She was nuts in Oakjaw. Did you guys ever end up seeing Oakjaw? No, I didn't. I'm just going to go yeah, ahead and nice. say... No. She kind of has the opposite <laughs> effect on me. I'm just kind of like, eh, Tilda Swinton. She's good. Like, don't get me wrong. She's a very talented actress. Um, And like you said, she gives everything in every role she's in, which I love. But, you know, just some people just rub you the wrong way. I think in, in, like, in some roles, she's fantastic. Like, I, I love her in some of the roles she's been in. But, yeah, I I'm always just kind of like, Really, Tilda Swinton in that role? Like, like there were better options. Why Tilda Swinton for this role? You know, so that's <laughs> yeah. kind of how I feel about Tilda Swinton. There are some times where she is very, much more concerned with being outlandish and shocking than she is with being good. Being no, not yeah. I hate using that. Which is, but yes, which is good. like hilariously in contrast to what I think is her best role is um, in Michael Clayton, in which she's like an incredibly regular person, like like astoundingly regular. Yeah, she's done so much; it's hard to. Yeah, I I would say no, I would say no. Unfortunately, geez, two nominations, two. I think we're notes. I think we're kind of rolling into the second tier here. We got we got to get more that there are, I got to be honest with you. I have a list of a couple <sighs> people that I I feel pretty confident um well, no. I feel con- well, okay, never mind. I take this back. Th- there's been some interesting nos recently. Um you know, I'll go ahead and throw out that one of the people on my list was Denzel, and I don't know if Denzel would get a yes right now. Uber Uber driver Denzel Uber driver, I'm gonna give Uber Denzel. driver Denzel five stars every time. Guys, mm. that's what I'm saying. There we go. If if the equalizer had been a whole movie of what the first half of the trailer was, that would have been I'm, awesome. I'm so down. <laughs> just so like down. just what if it's, just like just like, like if you it's know, just him driving an Uber car? Right. Just like a like six or seven episode like a little episodic vignette that's two hours like a little bunch of little vignettes that's two hours long. And it's yeah. just like it's like the people in his like he has some uneventful Uber rides and every couple Uber ride it's like someone who's in trouble and he like beats the crap out of someone who's bad and then gets back in his Uber and keeps going like it could just last one night that would be an amazing <laughs> film. 
Um, okay, my nomination is somebody who I think if I had made this nomination in 2005, <laughs> I would be laughed at. Uh-oh. But her last three films have been three amazing films. Adam Sandler. And, oh, gosh darn it. All right. Yes, I mean Adam Sandler as Jill from the critically acclaimed <laughs> film Jack and Jill, starring Al Pacino, who we're, who we'll talk about later. Not Jack, though. Uh, he wasn't good as Jack. Not Jack. He was really good <laughs> no, no, at I Jill. I just mean Jill. Yes, oh, I just mean him as Jill. Anytime that he's ever played a female guys, in a movie. Are you guys like dead set on, re- on rem- reminding me about bad movies I had blocked from my memory tonight? <laughs> Have you seen Jack and Jill? I think I saw like 30 minutes of it one time and was like, what am I doing? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't think I've seen an Adam Sandler film since the one that he did with Jennifer Aniston, which was probably like 10 years ago. Just go with it. That's the name. Mm. Um, Okay, my director, though, I think that she is somebody who has really uh, taken a certain genre and style of film and elevated it to a hyper-realistic state. Uh, Her last film left me like, scarred after I had seen it. Uh, and she is none other than Catherine Bigelow. I almost nominated her tonight. That was my other option. Mm. Um, well, you didn't. So and I yes, did, for so. me, I think you're right. Um, I mean, she's, she's done. She almost has like a two part career. It's right. the, all the other things she was doing. And then she started working with Mark bowl and, um, who was a journalist and, did the Hurt Locker, which is just a a gut punch of an astounding film. Um, Zero right. Dark Thirty is great. Detroit is it's it's not great, but it's not great because of the way it's structured more than anything else. Um, there are parts of Detroit that are, like you said, Cam. Just to say the phrase again, a gut punch. There's a there's yeah. It's it's a there's some astounding work there. She's she's pulled great performances out of people in all three of those films. So I say at this point, yes, Catherine Bigelow, um, definitely an honorable mention for me. And that being said, like I don't think K nineteen Widowmaker is terrible. It's not necessarily a great film. Point Break is a fun film, but not because it's good. <laughs> and. But if you look at like the last 10 years of her career, you know, 2009 to now, she's done Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, and Detroit. And I think those are all three amazing films. Ooh, Jake. <laughs> You're making me nervous. Oh, man. Um. All right. I am going to say yes. Yeah. Because I do think that, uh, first off, Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker are probably two of the best military films ever made. Um, like mm-hmm. I put them on like Saving Private Ryan level good yeah. of like yep. portraying modern warfare, especially Detroit. Like you guys said, is like painful to watch, but incredibly well performed and very powerful and necessary. And so, yeah, I mean her her. Her last 10 years are fantastic. And I'm I'm super excited to see what she does next. As always, she is one of those people, like you said, like if you find out that she's working on a project right now, you're going to see it. 
And that's what an honorable mensch is. And so while I don't love a lot of her career, and I think she seems kind of interesting as a person, I don't know much about her, but like everything I've seen her in, I'm like, huh, Catherine Bigelow, you are intriguing. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, like it's to the point where like if she's putting movie. something out, right. It's to the point where if she's putting something out, you're like, I'm interested in that strictly because of the attention that she's brought to certain stories and the way that she tells them. Yeah. And the performances that she gets out of people. Um, whatever you have to say about Detroit, it is perfectly acted as haunting as it is from beginning to end. Yeah. Like everybody is giving like John Boyega is great. Jack Rayner is great. Will Poulter in that is something else. Yeah. Algie Smith is great. I mean, it is beginning to end incredible. So, all righty. The 17th class only has, uh, well, it's, it's a mixed bag. We got a denied <laughs> in Tilda Swinton. We got an honorary in Josh Brolin and Catherine Bigelow was accepted. So it's an interesting night. Catherine Bigelow, welcome to the honorable mentions and to the other two. We are sorry, but better luck next time even though there's not a next time. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead and get to our review of The Godfather. The Godfather, the critically acclaimed by many held as the greatest or second greatest film of all time depending on you know where you're where you're at that month with Vertigo and Citizen Kane, you know. Many people throw those three up there quite a bit. Uh directed by Francis Ford Coppola, came out in 1972 and was the highest grossing film of that year. It made $133 million, which was 40 more, 40 million more than the next closest film, the Poseidon adventure. It, it did well at the Academy Awards. It won best picture. It won best actor for Marlon Brando. And this is the famous one where Brando boycotted the Academy Awards and instead um, sent, if I remember right, I want to get this right. He sent, um, he sent Sashin Littlefeather, a Native American, to explain why he would not show up to collect his Best Actor award. And uh, it also was nominated for Best Director. It got three nominations for Best Supporting Actor, Scott Kahn, Robert Duvall, and Al Pacino, which is kind of shocking that they went with a supporting actor for Pacino because at least to me, and we'll get into this. I feel like Pacino was the lead of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it cleaned up. We can, we can 1970- talk, we can talk in a minute about who the Godfather is. Right. 1970s are a very interesting time in, you know, American cinema. You're getting the introduction of the Brat Pack of filmmakers, which is, you know, the George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Steven Spielberg, all those types. And it's, it's really held by many as the, as the great turn in American cinema where you're getting all of these American directors coming out, turning in these fantastic pieces of work. So this is kind of the catalyst that shifts everything and makes, um, kind of puts these directors, these, uh, you know, California directors on the map. And, you know, let's start off with kind of what did what did you guys know? You know, this film's obviously forty six years old. What did you guys know about this film, or what were you? What did you guys carry into this film as you went into it? What did you know? 
So I, I mean, it's the Godfather. So you, it's, it's been hyped as much as a film can be hyped. And as, as you said, in the introduction of like, it's one of the best films of all time, one of the best casts of all time. And so I, I went into this with pretty high expectations. Um, but like we also stated, none of us had seen this. And so I didn't really know much of what was going to happen besides like some cultural touchstone stuff. of so just like, you come to me on the day of my daughter's wedding, you know, stuff like that. Like <laughs> I, I knew that was going to happen yeah. at some point. Um, and I also had a feeling that a lot of people were going to die. I, I just kind of had this feeling yeah. and that was accurate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of going into the film, I knew it was going to be long. I knew it was going to be good. Um, and it was both of those things. So, uh, those were my expectations and they were met. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I knew, I knew about the cultural references. I knew the, I'm going to make him an offer. He can't refuse the whole, the whole, the, the iconic nature of Marlon Brando's performance as, as Don Vito Corleone. Um, I knew that it had, um, kind of the young versions of a bunch of actors who went on to make a bunch of movies and be very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, including, um, baby Sophia Coppola, who's, uh, you know, a pretty good director now, (laughs) (laughs) Um, literally as a baby. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had, I also had sky high expectations cause you see it, you know, it's like number two on the IMDB list. It's like number two or three on the AFI list. Like it's just on all these lists. And it's top five on anyone's list of anything, top movies ever or whatever. And and yeah, I didn't know too much about the plot, really. Um, I knew like, you know, crime family, everything. I didn't really know truly kind of what happened step by step, anything at all. So that was kind of nice. I feel like with movies this iconic, some usually you end up kind of figuring out what's going to happen. But I really didn't didn't know where I was headed for the most part. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to finally see it. I feel like I have this weight lifted off of me in 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 some weird way <laughs> that's a good point yeah there is a certain it's like oh i finally seen one of the best films of all time uh I, i'm with you guys like there's a certain there were quotes that i knew you know leave the gun take the cannoli um <laughs> monday there's there's it's quoted quite a bit in you've got mail which is one of my favorite romantic comedies uh, so there's, there's that element to it. Funny enough, two of the, the two clips that I feel like I had like remembered from this or that like, I've not remembered cause I hadn't seen it before, but like that I would pull if you were like, Oh, what do you, what could you describe from it? Are actually two shots that are from Godfather part two. It's a, apparently a Robert Duvall shot. And then there's another shot that I think is probably a spoiler, based on the context of it, but it's, uh, it's, we, it's weird that those, that Godfather part two was the one that I feel like more permeated, uh, that side for me that I was kind of looking for these two shots or these two plot points and they never came. And it's like, Oh, that's weird. I wasn't ready for those two not to happen. <laughs> um, so let's kind of get to our general thoughts of the Godfather. Trevor, what were your thoughts on this movie? I mean, it's a classic. It's iconic. It earns the hype. It was I was a tiny bit disappointed just because of the hype, um, but still, it's great. The more I've sat with it, um, the more the more I the better I think it is. I also it 
it really ties itself up in the last 20 minutes. That's where I think that's what really sells the whole story. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's this kind of perfectly slow burn in this just astoundingly great climax. Um, it's, it's great visual filmmaking. Um, it, it earns its time. If anything, it's too short in a weird way. Um, I can't imagine a three hour movie being the top box office gross (laughs) anymore. Right. Um, (laughs) right. But, but yeah, it's, it was fantastic. It's, it's, it's amazing still 46 years later. Yeah. Um, I, so I've been out of the country for a week working crazy hours on a documentary and today was really my first day back. And so I kind of like took the day to relax and still be like kind of jet lagged. Um, and watching this movie was, uh, it, it was a delight. You know, it, it was, it was just one of those things where you sit down with an expectation of just like, okay, here we go. Watching the Godfather. Impress and like, me. Yeah, really. It, it was just kind of like live up to my expectations, please. And I mean, even just like, the first 10 seconds of the black screen and that music fades in, you're just like, Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. I get it. I like, this is going to be good. Um, and it was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, I do, I do think it's like a little too long. I think there's some things that are a little unnecessary in terms of the plot. Um, that's a very small complaint to make in terms of like how good this film is. Um, the performances, the direction, the script are all, absolutely incredible and it's about something that's really interesting you know um and yeah i mean it's it's the godfather it fortunately lived up to expectations uh i definitely feel like we can have a long conversation about it um but i was not i wouldn't say surprised like pleasantly surprised um i guess i would say i was like my expectations were satisfyingly met (laughs) Yeah, I think in that same vein, after 2001 A Space Odyssey, I was kind of like, not to say that 2001 A Space Odyssey was bad, because obviously people love it, and it's inspired many people, and so there's something good about it. It just wasn't for me. I didn't enjoy it. And so I was going into this, almost dragging my feet like, dang it, another old film that I'm probably going to dislike and then feel bad about, because it's a critically acclaimed film that I dislike, and... I was just like, God, no, please. Oh, dang it. And then I watched it and I remember like, okay, the opening scene is they're kind of fading back from that guy as he's talking to Don Corleone and then the wedding. And I'm like, this is good. This is good. This is good. And at the end of it, I found myself being like, that was all good. Like, (laughs) I like that entire thing. (laughs) Dang it. Um, Why was I so hesitant the entire time? Like that was, and I think that's, that's a hard thing in viewing a film that's so critically acclaimed as the Godfather. It's that most times you're not going to, it's not going to live up to the hype, but I feel like this does live up to the hype. It it's aged very well in the 46 years since it's came out. There's a couple things that are um, maybe would be done a little bit differently today. I think one of the big ones is uh, oftentimes the characters deaths are a little dramatic or, you know, when they get shot. And not that I've ever actually seen somebody get shot in real life, but I feel like you wouldn't get shot multiple times, hop out of a car, and then jump around 
if you had like 40 bullets in you already. <laughs> just a thought. Just a thought. Um, but yeah, I'm kind of on the side where I love a good long movie if it's good. Like the Lord of the Rings movies, I love them because they're long. That's one of the things I love about them is that there's so much in them that you can watch them 50 different times and you're going to get something different every time because there's so much to them. And it's the same thing with this. It's a three hour movie and it sits very much like a novel. Like you re- you watch this and it's much like you just read like a thousand page book. You're, you're sitting there and you know that like you read so fast because you were so consumed with the plot that you missed different intricacies of the film that you would normally catch. And I feel that way with this as well, that like, as I got done, I instantly wanted to rewatch it because I was so caught up and I loved the movie so much that I was ready for more of it. Um, how do you guys think this film's aged in the 46 years since it was released? For me, the, the most dated thing in this was some of the editing. It, it felt very 1960s with its editing in some places. Um, but as far as, I mean, everything else, it, I don't think it's, I, I think it's aged just fine. I mean, it, it tells a, a story. I think if, if it were, I think the biggest difference might be if this were made today, it would have a, uh, a title card every time the year jumped and it would tell you what year it was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which would not have necessarily been a bad thing um, in some, in some instances. Um, but yeah, I think this does age well. I think it's a, it's kind of a timeless story of a family um, and doing what it takes to get by and doing what it takes to provide for your family. Um, I say that these are awful humans. Um, let me, <laughs> let me, let me attach that on to what I just said. Um but having to even make that caveat really kind of shows how great the storytelling is. And I think great storytelling is timeless. We still read Shakespeare in 10th grade, you know, like it Mm -hmm. doesn't, a great story is a great story. And when it's told by a great storyteller, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how old it is. Yeah. This is a very technically simple, but technically well done film, which means in terms of like aging wise, it ages really well because it's so, story acting uh and like plot driven there's very little technical like and and by that i mean like the cinematography is great the sounds great um the editing is like like trevor said while a little old-fashioned uh really really well done the mixing's well done um the music's well done and just because of that like all of those things they're all well done and they're all simple and they're not distracting. Like those just kind of all fade to the background. You just kind of like watch these incredible performances of this fantastic script. And so like any movie ever made, if it checks those boxes can age well. Right. And I feel like along with all of that, this film kind of has, it encompasses so many different things. All, all all these great movies that we talk about all the time <clears throat> encompass a lot of things. They're not just about one thing. They're not just an action movie or a drama or a comedy. They have different things. And this movie certainly has a little bit of everything. There's um, comedy, there's drama, there's, um, there's action scenes in the sense of like how the uh, hits are taken. <laughs> um, and then it has commentaries on like, 
marriage, politics, uh, immigration, uh, kind of like loyalty, betrayal, love. There's like, I could go down a whole list of the commentaries this film makes. And I think that's what makes it relevant is that it has all of these things and none of them feel shoehorned in. Like it's not out of nowhere that all of a sudden it's like, Oh, politics, let's get into politics here for a second. It's kind of just like a natural, naturally weaved into the story. Yeah. Um, what did you guys think? Cause at the time when this was released, there's a lot of mob bosses that felt this was particularly accurate. And there's a lot of Americans that, uh, it resonated with, even though they weren't involved with the mob because of what it was saying about American culture. And so what do you guys think Coppola is trying to get at as far as American Coppola? What was your takeaway on the commentary of society? American Coppola. American Coppola. (laughs) That's my new... It's my new rap album coming out. That'd be a good band name, American Coppola. American Coppola. Uh, But unfortunately, there's already a Coppola in a band. Well, I guess a Schwartzman. Yeah. A Schwartzman, that's a Coppola. Yeah. That's true. There we go. Um, I I mean, I feel like we've said this a lot about movies that we've seen, like that we've caught up with, like throwbacks or whatever. Um, This movie's like kind of timely right now with everything that's happening in American politics. Um. And I think that like what it's saying is very accurate in terms of uh, politics, the American dream, um, that like American politics and society can be easily corrupted and ran by people that have interests that are very focused on themselves um, mm-hmm. and are willing to do whatever is necessary to improve their state of life and take away from others and right and related to that is that those who do not come from a place of privilege have to work outside the rules yes in order to be successful there's also this like interesting beat on kind of vengeance and how you know it's this idea that like don corleone calls the meeting after his son sonny's been killed and you would think like a mob boss's son's killed He's going for blood. And instead he calls a meeting calling for peace. And then there's, you know, years of peace. And then all of a sudden, like vengeance comes from Michael played by Al Pacino. And so it's almost this idea of like being civil and being peaceful is never going to work. That's the old way that's dying out. The new way is to get vengeance and stake your claim and plant your flag and be like, I'm the top dog. I'm the, I hate to use this word. I'm the alpha. I'm the, you know, top. And it's an interesting, you know, commentary on this changing of the guard between generations of how they perceive dealing with, uh, competitors. Mm -hmm. I also think it was, it made a lot of interesting comments on just like, um, immigrants and focusing like culture, like, um, Italian culture versus Irish culture versus like American culture, which is overarching over those other cultures of like Italian American, Irish American. Um, and especially in the time of the 1940s and fifties of like post-World War II um, and like baby boomers and the growth of the American economy and the growth of American immigration. And um, 
I, I don't really know what I, where I'm going with this statement, but that was also <laughs> that was just an interesting like thing that was underlying within the plot of just kind of like this is interesting that they're addressing all of these things that are happening in this time period of like how America was dealing with all those problems now and how it's impacted how we're dealing with them today. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's, I, I don't know why, but I kept thinking of, you know, Charles Gambino's, this is America <laughs> as this was playing. And I'm like, this like this would work fairly well if like at the close of a scene as it's quiet you just started playing that song. <laughs> Someone should do that. Like it, it, right? Like it would work fairly well if like the closing of the movie, you know, as they're all okay. Spoilers: This movie's been out for forty six years. If you haven't seen it, then you're like us who haven't seen it. <laughs> um, I can't really give you a hard time because we're just now seeing it. It's on Netflix. But we're gonna spoil you have, part of you're the movie. out of excuses. It's on Netflix right now. Go watch it. Right. You're on Netflix. You know, either you have Netflix or you know somebody with Netflix. So get that password and go watch it. Um, but as the ending of the film, as you know, they're all embracing Michael as Don Corleone. If all of a sudden it just started playing with the, da, 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 <laughs> you know, like that <laughs> intro, it'd be like, well, as although the that door has is a very closing, meaning as to what America is today um, racially, but. It's uh it's an interesting view to see that and this as a commentary on society. Yeah, I think it's uh, 46 I know years there's later. this it's it especially became a joke um a kind of a repeating joke on the internet at the end of Mad Men, but you know everyone talks about like what is the great American novel? And it's like is Mad Men the great American novel? And I think that you know there's never any one thing. I think there's probably I could I could put together with a little bit of time a collection of like seven or eight works of art that together are the, the American experience. I think that, you know, um, I think Mad Men is one of them. I think that like roots is one of them, the book and or the miniseries. Um, but I think that the Godfather would also be in that collection for me. I think it's in kind of that pantheon of, you know, and in, in of the exposition of American culture from a specific point in time, but also indicative of, American culture from well before and well after. Mm-hmm. Was it was it weird for you guys? Uh, it was uh, it was certainly jarring to see Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, James Caan. Diane Keaton was the one that was the most jarring. Yeah, I didn't know um, she was in this. That completely surprised I even, me. Yeah, I didn't even I also, like recognize most of these people because I'm like I'll be honest, I haven't seen a lot of old films with a lot of like really known actors with these storied careers um and so when you sent that list of all those actors i was like oh my gosh i didn't know that any of those people were those people <laughs> what yeah. would this what would this it's cast weird. have cost in like 1994 oh my gosh oh it would have cost 20 times as much <laughs> the, the weird the weird thing was the entire time because i had known that de niro got his start in the godfather i was waiting for de niro i'm like okay where's de niro where's de niro until like I looked it up afterwards and I was like, wait, De Niro's in Godfather Part Two. Yeah, he's not in this film whatsoever. Uh, so that's that's funny. Uh, you know, Brando's obviously being Brando. Did you guys feel like it was as legendary as you had heard? I mean, have, what? So so Brando, Marlon Brando as Vito is one of the iconic roles in cinema, and it 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 lived up to the hype for me. 
But here's my my kind of hot take for this movie is that while that may be the more iconic role, Al Pacino as Michael is better. Agreed. He's just 100% agree. I don't even know if it's that hot of a take. I don't know what people's stance are is on this, but Al Pacino, this is, this is the best performance I've ever seen from his career. I think it's one of the great performances of all time. Just the way that he, he acts without doing anything is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Like facially, he does very little in this film. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I, I 100% agree. I think I was a little let down by the Brando performance. I was expecting a little bit more because it's just so flat. Like there's there's not much of a uh, performance or emotional arc from the but character. But the way he scratches his face is yeah. something yeah, else. Like, <laughs> sure. You scratch. I don't Like his personification of that character um physically is really well done you know it it it, he feels like a real person which is what you want um and it also feels like you know a guy like that you you know an old guy that kind of like talks like that and kind of (laughs) like um it'll come to me on the day of my thought as well yeah yeah that that type of guy you know he's just like constantly Um, exasperated by you (laughs) yeah but i agree al pacino's performance i thought was significantly better and um i i see now why he is al pacino like even that young in the godfather was like yep you're gonna be in gangster movies (laughs) yeah here's scarface for you uh Mm -hmm. it's 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 interesting because the role that you constantly hear about is the Brando role, but Al Pacino, like this is his story. This is his though. And the other funny thing was like, as I was watching this, I'm like breaking, this feels very much like an, like breaking bad in certain aspects of like, or breaking bad feels like this, I should say, but in the like taking, you know, he starts out the film and you think he's a military guy. He's a war hero. Like, He's seemingly just like the outside guy who doesn't want to get into the family business. And then he sees, you know, his father almost be killed and he gets punched by a cop. And all of a sudden it takes him down this dark path. It's this Walter White esque movement of this guy who goes from good guy to villain. And you watch this transformation and believe it because of these series of events. Uh, It's, it's a great uh, take on the character and it's, it's very well done by Pacino. What, so what do you what did you guys think about that like character switch, that character arc of Michael? I I think it's I think it could have been a little bit better in some places. Do you feel like it's too much of a jump from him getting punched to him committing murder? Yeah. Is that like the part where it loses you? Yeah, it's just and I I need maybe more dialogue from him to really talking to really anyone working through this himself. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not that it's far-fetched or that it's, uh, or it's ridiculous or anything. I just needed a little bit more to guide the, the development there. Also like the yeah. jump, the jump from him being like war hero, don't want to do anything to murder to then being head of the family. Even all were very quick and, I, you know, I think that might be like part of what maybe Coppola is saying of just like you maybe what part of 
his point is that like you can't escape your family or you can't escape like who you're called to be or um maybe that's what yeah part of the point that he's trying to make is yeah um, filling in filling in those gaps is the one thing this movie is lacking for me is agreed. is that kind but of I, thing there's also those time jumps that you get in between certain events like you know he commits the murder i will say like the jump from getting hit by the cop to the murder is 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 a little bit of a leap but you also have to factor in like he's a war vet he's seen some things like he's kind of he's been through violent situations probably in world war two. And so not to mention like, you know, growing up in a mob boss family, you're probably subject to some of that stuff to where that seems normal to you. Yeah. Um, I, th- I then, just you know, wish he that goes like, off. I think they could have totally gotten rid of the whole Italy stuff and instead like developed those character developments a little bit more. Yeah. I think that he's, I think At least my takeaway from I, that was like he's go ahead, Trev. Yeah, I think that his wife needs to die in Italy for him to take over the family business. I think that yeah, he I maybe think... becomes involved, but he doesn't get the push to being the new godfather without that happening. That's fair. Right. Like he's lost somebody that he loves more like than he can imagine. And he obviously and so it's almost was this, more like, in love with her than Kay. Right. Yeah. So, uh, what, what did you guys, were there ever times where like the hyper realness of, cause the movie's obviously trying to go, you know, at this time we're getting a bunch of musicals, we're getting comedies and this is kind of the jump to the American hyper realness within films. You know, you get Kubrick's early stuff and, uh, you get, uh, what's the George Lucas one? Uh, Star Wars. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, not Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, the hyper realness of Luke Skywalker. <laughs> no, his uh radio one. What's the radio film? Uh, American American Graffiti. American Graffiti. The American American Graffiti. You get these more realistic films. And so was there ever a time that the hyper realness of this fell apart for you guys? Uh no. I mean could you define maybe falling ap- fall apart? What does that mean? So I for me it's it's i get taken out of like the realness of the film anytime there's an on-screen death anytime that there's a death or like somebody gets shot like okay so for example sunny gets shot in the car he's got 10 guys firing machine guns at him he's probably hit 20 times and you mean to tell me that he gets out of the car and is able to like start walking a couple steps before getting hit by probably 50 more bullets and then finally been taken down like that's the part where it falls apart for me a little bit. Like I get taken out. And I'm like, okay, we get it. He's tough. He got shot. Like, all righty. But that's not how it, like if you were in that situation and you got shot, you wouldn't be able to get out of that car. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Adrenal- adrenaline's <laughs> pumping. It didn't hit any vital organs the first time. I don't know. I, I, I agree I with first you. 50 times. <laughs> I agree with you that like, if you see him- that was the only moment where I was like, okay, that was a little unnecessary. But, um, yeah, I mean, every other part, I feel like it was, it was fine. I did like some of the like stage combat stuff doesn't uh-huh. really translate. And, but you also have Although, to understand it's like they're shooting on film. There's no review uh-huh. monitors. Uh-huh. Um, right. It, it's one of those things where it's like 
for 45 years ago, technically, pretty good. Though I did, I yeah. did love. While there were a couple errors with stage combat stuff, I loved that scene where Sonny is beating up Carlo on the street. It's absolutely <laughs> yeah. hilarious. He just like he's like just using whatever is around. He throws the trash can at him, and then he takes the lid and just hits him with that. <laughs> it's just like. It's like if it wasn't so violent, it would be comical. Just the way yeah. that he's just like going completely insane on him. And the way that yeah, it's then, shot with just the wide shot of the whole thing with a static camera is Which is yeah, like all the people being around. I loved the visual language of this film of of mostly doing single wide static shots and then just cutting in on the insert or the close up when necessary. Um, mm-hmm. there's like such little camera movement in this film and it's just like constantly good composition. I like, there was a moment where Michael was walking down the, the hospital hallway to go check on his father. And uh-huh. I had a moment of like, if this was shot today, this would have been like a movie steady cam rig that like followed him <laughs> up the stairs and then tracked him down the hallway and spun around him, came into the room before he did. But instead we just get this static well composed shot of michael quickly walking down the hallway and you just hear him getting further and further away and i was like that that's the shot that needed to be to tell this story emotionally that that perfectly encapsulated how he's feeling and what he's going through and the the cinematographer didn't let get didn't let the technical aspects of making a cool thing get in the way of doing what's right for the story um well it also very much gives you that like fly on the wall perspective which for a movie like this where they're trying to bring you onto the side of these terrible people making static shots like that where you feel like you're a part of it and you're able to kind of let your eyes wander instead of having your perspective forced you're able to kind of come in at an angle of these are like real people it helps you relate to them and so that's I thought that was an incredible it, choice by Coppola. Mm-hmm. And it closes you off from the rest of the world. Like you, mm-hmm. all you know is this mafia situation. No one in this right. movie dies who's a good person. I don't think. <laughs> right. Right. So that's kind of why it's like, it's like it's its own separate universe with its own separate morality. Which is, I think, yeah. which is, I think, why there's still sympathy within the characters, which in itself is a astronomically impressive achievement by a director. Mm-hmm. So there's two kind of iconic moments that we have yet to talk about in this movie. One of them is the horse's head moment <laughs> in the bed, which with a real horse's you know, head. I've read that today. With a real. Yeah, a real horse's head, <laughs> real blood. Wow. They got it from the dog food factory. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> so that's one of those things to me that as I'm sitting there, that sets the tone for the entire movie. And that's such a like terrifying choice of like, okay, this is where these people are. They're not going to kill you. They're just going to mentally mess you up to the point where you're like, I'm never going to look at a horse the same way again. Cool. <laughs> yeah. All right. There's a there's an understanding here of like which people are valuable and which people are not. And that's right. like more terrifying than someone who's willing to kill everyone, I think. Right. Like the fact that they're willing to keep him alive but just kind of 
mess with him <laughs> is the most like terrifying thing that they that they can do in that situation. If they had killed him, as bad as this sounds, we're almost so desensitized to that that it's just like, okay, it's a hit. Like, yeah, of uh-huh. course they'd take him out. He's disrespected them. But the fact that they went an alternate route and kind of like took this thing that he loved and put it in his bed and like had him like wake up to that, like that's how he it's haunting. Like it's terrifying that that's that's definitely, how they you definitely to need a therapist retaliate. after that situation. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh the other thing that we have yet to talk about that to me stuck out as one of the best moments in this movie is the christening scene at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where we have Michael Corleone kind of find out that there's been some people that have betrayed him and as he goes to his goddaughter's christening it's intercutting between the christening Michael uh, saying these things as a godfather and the rest of the family pulling off hits on the five families and uh, Mo Green, who's disrespected the family. And uh, that scene for me, at least was like that told, like if you, and I, I use the whiplash example because it's such a perfect example, but before uh, Damon Chazelle shot whiplash, he shot a, scene from whiplash as an example of what the entire movie would encapsulate. And it's the first time in whiplash where he goes to the jazz class and it's that scene. And that scene really does encompass the whole movie, but this scene at the end for me, at least is the scene that encompass. Like if you were to show somebody one scene and be like, this is what the whole movie is. It's this single scene. It's this like faith and family mixed with these like, terrible acts being carried out um what did you guys think of the end with all of that i i thought that that was like the the period at the end of the statement that is this film <laughs> i mean it was just like oof, that was the moment you know um i definitely think that, that that's the best scene of the film like you said that that is the thesis statement of this movie and uh it is just so good um because it's like you have you not only have um the culmination of what the entire film has been leading up to in terms of like the the rival between the families but you also have uh that's when michael becomes the godfather in multiple ways you know um he's he's literally becoming a godfather uh but he also is like <laughs> executing this this plan to make him the new Don Carleone. And uh yeah, it was it was really good. I to continue kind of this theme that I've been on about the morality of this film and how it makes you feel, I like broke into an uncontrolled smile when I realized what was happening during this scene because <laughs> it's like this is the height of the art form. Like this mm-hmm. is what film does. This is like what you can do with film and the way you can tell a story. No other art form can do th- what this scene does particularly. And I, th- I mean, you could make an argument that it's the greatest film scene of all time. I, I could, you know, put it up with, with a few others. I think it was just astounding what it means for the characters. Um, what it means for the different themes of this movies, the juxtaposition of the different parts of culture and life going on. Um, the idea of the 
becoming a godfather and also becoming the godfather um mm. it, it, and and i i might argue that michael is the godfather from the title not vito um because this is michael's movie and how he becomes the godfather mm-hmm. um so and that's part of the reason why i smiled this too i was like I, that was the moment when it really hit me that this movie is about michael everything else is just part of that leading pushing into that but this is a movie about him and like you said jake it's it's the perfect way that ties up every thread of this story yeah um, just into this this perfect ending that is earned and heavy and appropriate and just astounding so if you guys had to explain to a friend or family member why this film is one of the top five greatest films ever made, what are you guys pointing out or pointing to as this is why this film is one of the best films ever made? Ooh, good question. Because I, mean, I think we can all agree that we like this film quite a bit, right? Like, we are all in consensus. It's a pretty great movie. It lives up to the hype. But I've had trouble pinning down, like, a specific thing that makes this what it is. I think it's... I think it's the... Every... You see the humanity in every character at some point. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of times, I think movies that are violent or have full of ruthless evil people you just see these kind of killing machines in this weird way but i think in this the the story is great and the filmmaking t- um improves on the story enhances mm. the story and i think that the 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 key part of that to me is um just the humanity of all the characters yeah, that's a great point, Trevor. Um, I think for me, it's just like this film is just so technically perfect on every level, every performance, uh, the script, uh, the the score, the cinematography, the the editing, the directing. Um, everything is on top performance, top top level. Um, but it also is a incredible story that is very, very well told. Um, I think it also is something where like, it touches, like you said, it touches at like the cornerstone of what is America, um, what is possible in America, what is culture today, what was culture then. Um, and also, I mean, it, like you said, Trevor, it, it humanizes people that you don't think of as humans when you read news headlines, you know? This these these are people doing things for their family. And like Trevor said, they are terrible things. And these people are terrible <laughs> people. <laughs> but it's everything they're doing is for their family. Um I I really can't put a specific like this is why this is the best movie, but it it definitely needs to be in the conversation. Yeah. I think that this movie encapsulates so many things and you guys hit on this, but if you had asked me and me, and it's just because I hadn't seen a lot of his films, but if you guys had asked me if Al Pacino 
was ever a good actor, I would probably say no. <laughs> I probably would have also. To bring up, once again, to bring up Jack and Jill, he hasn't had a good <laughs> run recently. And if I'm basing my knowledge off of what I've seen recently, I would say no. But when I go back to this, you know, I get perform or not I, but I see performances out of Pacino, Duvall, James Caan that I've never seen out of them in other places in their career. And that's, that's amazing. I think we, you know, we talked about this earlier. It's technically good and sound on every level. Uh, and, and that, that's what makes it age well. So there's, there's so many elements to this. And I think that the reason why none of us can pin down an element as to why this film would be in that is because it's so many different things. I think that there are any number of things that you could point out. And I bet that if you asked a panel of film critics, why this film should be up there, they would all give you a different reason. And all of them would be true. There. So yeah, there are uh, very, I guess what I might say, the short answer of why I think, why I think this is a great film is that there are so few films that you watch and you say, well, I need to see that again soon. And that's how I felt when I watched this film, because there's just, there's so many different, it's like you said, Cam, it's a novel. Basically it's got so many different plot lines and storylines that intersect and don't intersect. Um, there are times where some characters are the main, like there's a time in the film where, um, Robert Duvall's Tom is like the main character. And then there are times where he's just kind of sitting around in the background and people come in, they come out. It just is this, it's an epic, but not in the th- the way that we usually think of as an epic film. But, but yeah, it's just th- this. And um, I think this and Annihilation are the two films I've seen this year where I was just like, instantly I was like, I need to see that again. This is, <laughs> this definitely needs to be seen again. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it, you're right. It is an interesting question, Cam, because I hadn't really thought about it. But there's there's not an easy way to tell someone why this is a great film, right? It's it's a hard question to answer, but it's I think definitely something to consider just because of of how much this film is beloved by everybody. Um. And obviously, it's stood the test of time 45 years later. So, if you guys were to give out an MVP of the movie, who is your MVP for this? As we're looking back, who stands out as the one above the rest, whether that's cast or crew? Who's who's top notch? Uh, Trevor or Jake? I think, I mean, we've been raving about al pacino in this that this is where al pacino became al pacino for sure um i think also robert duvall as tom is fantastic in this movie and uh also the composer nino rota the music uh-huh. in this film yes really helps set the stage and set the mood for a lot of really crucial scenes um and it just fits the world so well so th- those are the people to me that like just really, really stood out. For for me, it's got to be Coppola, the director, to to have this kind of vision for this story is just insane. Like I said, I mean, the script is great. Um, I know that Mario Puzo wrote the script and wrote the book that it's based on. Um, but just the the way that 
Coppola envisioned this whole thing and brought it to life and gave it the humanity. I don't think, I don't think anyone else could have made this movie this good. Right. I'm with you. And I'm, I mean, I want to echo both of what you guys said while also highlighting Gordon Willis, who's the cinematographer. It can't be understated enough or stated enough how great of a job he did at visually uh, telling the story throughout the entire film, whether it's uh, coming in close for certain moments so that you can get the intricacies of, of a performance or staying wide so that we feel like a spectator or a fly on the wall. So um, with that, let's get to our final thoughts and ratings for The Godfather. Jake, what are your final thoughts and ratings? Yeah, I mean, this is... Uh... I get it now. I basically like if this is the Godfather. I, I totally understand the, the hype and the love for this movie. I definitely want to see it again. You know, um, seeing, seeing a film like this once it doesn't do a movie like this justice. Also, I'm pretty jet lagged still. So I, I was kind of <laughs> like, Oh, this is a little slow right now for my brain. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, this is an A plus it's, it's, it's the Godfather and it, um, it totally stands the test of time and also stands the, the test of hype. Uh, and I'm, I'm very excited to see this again and to see Godfather part two, because apparently it's like just as good. So can't wait to see that. Yeah. Yep. The only sequel to ever win best picture. Well, Hey, that's not true. Is it not true? Lord of the Rings return. Of the oh, King. Okay. Don't forget about Lord <laughs> yeah, of the Rings. But they were again. they were all written I at the just... same time. It's not really a sequel. <sighs> it's just like you can't print a book with 8000 pages. I would be f- perfectly fine <laughs> with that argument. So yeah, maybe God I'm sorry for snapping. Uh I just I get really, you know, intense when it comes to Lord of the Rings. <laughs> also, we know that those Hobbit 11 Oscars for were for all three movies, not just the one movie. That's true. Yes, that is true. Um, any, I appreciate that. So, and it's, everyone just understands that. Yeah, this is. Um, it meets the hype. Um, you guys know that I've been banging the drum for Citizen Kane for forever as the greatest movie of all time. Um, I don't know if this is quite there. Maybe there's a a few whiskers of Marlon Brando's mustache that it's not quite what Citizen Kane is, but that's like <laughs> not necessarily, and that's not a put down at all. Um. But yeah, this it meets the hype. It's a great film. It's a film, and we talk a lot about this podcast, I guess, about length of film. And this is a film that earns its length, I think. Um, so yeah, Coppola's ascending achievement, the direction, the the cinematography, especially the lighting. Oh man, the lighting in this movie is so good. Um, yeah, this is a five families out of five families for me. Um, just a great film. <laughs> a few qualms here and there, but I mean, no one makes a perfect film. Um, I loved it. Um, I'm with you guys. It's a great film. I was sh- pleasantly shocked at how it lived up to the hype, whether it's acting or plot or the technical aspects. It delivers on so many different levels that it's 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 easy to see why this film uh, is loved as it is. So uh, it's an A for me solid film can't believe i haven't seen it but i'm happy that i finally got a chance to check it out so 
That's all we have for our review this week. Let's go ahead and get to our content of the week. Jake, what is your content of the week? So I had some very long flights uh, this past week where I got to catch up on some movies. Um, and so I rewatched Infinity War and Black Panther. They are both great. Would highly recommend them. Um, I also, don't judge me, guys, but for some reason, well, not for some reason, I was on the plane for 20 hours. I rewatched oh, Justice League. Oh no! And you know, honestly, it's really not as terrible as I think it was on the first viewing. Like when you go in with expectations of like, yeah, it's gonna be just, it's like, it, it's this. Like it's not that bad. Steppenwolf is terrible. Plot is terrible. <laughs> Villain, a joke. But like, it's not that bad. And also, same with Rampage. I watched Rampage. Ooh. It, it's like an hour twenty of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson doing his thing. And it's not that bad. It's not good. Hear me out. <laughs> it is not good. <laughs> but it's not that bad, you know? So, um, yeah, I watched I watched some stupid movies on a plane. And so go check those out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I am always an advocate for stupid action. I will, I love stupid action movies. There's, there's so. a fun place for it, you know? Yeah. All right, Trevor, recommendation? Uh, I'm going to recommend in honor of... Uh, Francis Ford Coppola's nephew, I'm going to recommend the song California by Phantom Planet. Um, mm. uh, better known to everyone else as the theme song from BOC. <laughs> um, California. That was, the, <laughs> that, was, that was mostly a joke. Um, if you are into gangster stuff but want something a little different, um, I recommend um, a couple Guy Ritchie British gangster films. Um, uh, I like Snatch and Rock and Rolla. Um, I know people like Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrels, too. Um, I, Rock and Roll is the one, to, for me, that's a lot of fun, but doesn't really get the hype of the others. Um, it's got Mark Strong playing a bad guy, which is one of my favorite ways to cast anyone in Hollywood. Um, so, yeah, that's good. And then if you really want to get into the kind of re- realistic nature of this film, you should, and you're ever in Las Vegas, you should check out the Mob Museum. I'm not sure we've had a museum recommendation on here, but... The Mob Museum in Las Vegas is super interesting. It's a good three, four hour um, kind of interactive thing. Lots of videos, lots of stuff to read, lots of artifacts. Talks about organized crime in America, its roots, how it's involved so heavily in Las Vegas, the different crime families in the different cities. Super interesting. Hmm. Okay. Um, my recommends for the week, I actually have two albums, which I think is the... F- I hardly ever recommend music because I'm kind of one of those old people that kind of stuck in my ways and just listens to the same bands over and over again. (laughs) But two uh, music acts that I like a lot came out with new music this past week. So uh, Death Cab for Cutie came out with a new album called Thank You for Today, which is very good. If you are into them, it is um, very much in line with their stuff. So uh, I think it's their best since Plans. Uh, and then also, if you are into instrumental music, there is a musician called Olafur Arnolds, and he put out a new album called Remember, which is very, very good. Uh, he's he's done, I think he's done some, f- no, I don't think, he, no, he did Broadchurch, that's what I'm thinking of. He hasn't done film work, but he did the um, music for Broadchurch, if you've ever seen that with David Tennant. He's like Seeger so, Rose without the high-pitched singing. Yes, without the Hopeland. Yes. 
<laughs> That's all we have for this week. Uh, we'll be back next week with a new episode, a new review of something. I don't, really don't know what because it's an interesting time at the box office right now. But we will. It's a bad time at the a, box office right now. It is. We will have a conclusion for you, though, of our summer box office wager where everything will be tallied up and we will decide the winner and the losers. Uh, but if you've enjoyed listening to us tonight, please go to iTunes, subscribe, rate, review us, go share us with your friends and family. If you know people that like The Godfather, share this with them and then they can tell us how wrong or right we are about certain aspects of it. Uh, if you want to know more about us, you can go to our website at Popcorn Optional where you can find all of our episodes as well as about a little bit about who each of us are. If you want to interact with us, you can find us on Twitter at Popcorn Optional or you can like us on Facebook at Popcorn Optional. My name is Cameron Selena. You can find me online at 321 Time. Jake, where can we find you online? You can find me at jakebrown.tv on Instagram and that's also my website, Trevor. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at TurboTrevor. Cool. Well, until the next time, we hope you have a great week. Watch some movies and in the words of the great Michael Scott, we'll be back ASAP as possible. Later.